Welcome to this week's episode of Weekly Devotions with Pastor James. My name is James, and I'm so glad that you are here this week, and uh, pray that you're having a great day uh, today. Uh, where I'm at, it is cloudy and gray, but that is how winter is. Hey, it's a new year, uh, well, month of January when I'm recording this, and one of the things that has been on my mind for the last couple of weeks, maybe about the last two weeks, is just being able to have a, a walk with the Lord, a better walk with the Lord. And it's really been on my heart. One of the verses that uh, the Lord's been working on me for the last couple of weeks um, is delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And the thing that I'm, I'm working on, the thing that the Lord has me thinking about is delighting myself in him. And when we delight ourselves in him, we have a much better walk with the Lord. But I also know that things going on in the world are not easy. I wouldn't say a crisis, but maybe if you're trying to go get some eggs, it's a crisis. But um, thing, things are hard. Things are difficult for people. Uh, and so I'll use that word crisis and um, loosely, of course. And one of the things that a crisis does, uh, a huge crisis, or maybe we just feel like it's a crisis, is it refocuses our walk on uh, Jesus. And one of the things I want to do with you today in this week's episode of Weekly Devotions with Pastor James is actually give you a message that I preached um, a few years back. And the Lord brought it to my mind uh, today when I w was praying and uh, just thinking, and I wanted to share it with you. And it, it was um, given, I'll be honest with you, I gave it during COVID. And so COVID uh, was only a couple weeks, maybe uh, two to three months into COVID. And uh, I don't really talk about COVID much in uh, the message. Uh, I just try to focus in on the scriptures. And so I wanted to give this to you and hopefully prayerfully that it would be an encouragement uh, to you and help you have a closer walk with Jesus. And so if you don't mind, I'm going to turn it over to a sermon that I have preached a, a little while ago. And uh, we pray that you would hit that like button, that subscribe button. And if you would uh, jump on over to guardingthewell.com, you could check out the blog there. You could check out the podcast there, a couple books I've written, and uh, you could connect with us. I would love to hear from you. And you could do that over at guardingthewell.com. Hopefully you can jump on over there. And, and uh, we pray that you are uh, well and that you have a great day. Uh, hopefully you enjoy. Um, when I was getting out of high school, maybe you can relate to this. When I was getting out of high school, and I was a senior in high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my uh, life. Uh, I didn't know what type of career, I didn't know college, if I shouldn't go to college, I didn't know anything along those lines. Uh, what I did know is coming out of high school, I could have played football at a couple uh, colleges on the, on the East Coast up to Vermont, uh, one out in, I think, uh, eastern part of Ohio, a couple uh, in and around the state of Pennsylvania. I could have done that, but I chose not to. And so all I knew was I needed to have a paycheck, and so I kept working. And so what happened is I kept my job, I kept working here uh, in, in the valley, and then I, I enrolled in a two-year school up in Scranton. And I went up there and I graduated that college with a two-year degree in 
uh, psychology. And so I'm like, okay, I have a two-year degree. Well, I can't do much with a two-year degree. And so I transferred to a four-year uh, year school, about an hour away, 45 minutes to an hour, uh, that I drove to uh, every single day, back and forth. Uh, I went down to Bloomsburg. Some of you know Bloomsburg University. Uh, that's where I went. Uh, spring semester, I started there. I commuted every single day, back and forth, down to Bloomsburg. And I was going to finish out my four-year degree down there in psychology. And I was only going to have to have about a year and a half down there uh, because of all the credits that I had. And so I was there for one semester. Uh, as I said, I started in the spring semester. And some of you know the story, but you got to bear with me. Uh, but that semester, I had a classical music class. Yes, I took a classical music class. There's almost 250 kids in that class. And I actually passed it uh, quite easily. I had child psychology class, uh, which is like I've taken about three of those in my life. And I had a bunch of other classes that I don't even remember, but one of the classes that I had to take was a class called Basic Statistics. You had to learn how to come up with and formulate statistics. It was actually a requirement for the degree, which I never understood why. Well, long story short is this. I failed that class. I failed it horribly. Uh, I went to class, yes, I only missed one class out of the whole semester. Uh, I was the one that did uh, all the homework. Uh, I was the only one that participated in class. I even asked for help afterwards. Everything along those lines. I was actually the only one in the class that actually showed up to class on a regular basis. But I failed that one class, and because of that, Bloomsburg would not allow me to come back. They said, you're done. Uh, they said, based on your previous grades, your grade average, which for me was about a B plus to an A minus for most of my classes, they said, based on your prior history, we don't think you could pull your grades up. And so they literally uh, kicked me out. They, they would not allow me to come back to school uh, for a whole year. Well, that threw me into a bit of a crisis. I, I didn't know what to do. Um, I had no idea what I was going to do that whole semester, plus books was on a credit card because my financial aid got messed up and everything. Um, I was supposed to get married. Uh, my wife uh, and I, we were going to get married after uh, I graduated college, after we got done with college. Well, now I got kicked out of college, so what's going to happen there, right? It threw me into a bit of a crisis. I didn't know what to do. Well, here's the thing about crisis. Do you know what crises do? A crisis causes us to refocus. A crisis always causes us to refocus on things. And some of you have had to do that over the last five or six weeks now in your own life. That you've had to refocus on perhaps your budget and your spending habits, where maybe you're, you know, you've lost your job, maybe you've taken a pay cut because of everything going on. Well, because of that, because of the crisis, you've had to refocus your budget. Maybe you've had to refocus your eating habits that you used to eat out maybe four or five times a week, and now you're trying to figure out how to cook a meal. You've actually had to refocus on that. And maybe some of you, even for work, you've had to refocus on work and how that looks like because maybe you're working from home or maybe you're having to do things differently that you have sat down and you refocused on different things in your life because of the quote-unquote crisis that you and I, the whole world, are going through. Because a crisis causes us to refocus. Well, let me ask you something. 
Have you done that with your walk with Jesus? Has this crisis caused you to refocus onto your walk and your relationship with Jesus Christ? I hope so. You see, Peter has been talking about false teachers here in chapter 2. And he's going to continue that this morning. But he, he's talking about false teachers. And he's pointing them out to the Christians that are, that are in the area that, uh, of where this letter was written to. But I want you to see what Peter writes in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Because Peter says this at the end of the letter. He says, therefore, and for those of you that join us regularly, you should know when you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for? Because it sends us back to what Peter just said. Peter says, therefore, in light of, since everything I've written so far, he says, dear friends, since you already know this, well, what is this? I'll tell you that in a moment. Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Peter, what Peter says there, and he tells them and he tells you and I this, you already know this. You already know this about false teachers. You already know what they do and why they do it and how they do this. But because you know this, you need to be on guard so that you don't fall, so that you're not led astray from Jesus Christ. And so we need to know all of this so that we're not led astray, so that you are not pulled away from Jesus Christ. What we have to do is we have to take what Peter is giving to us here and apply it to our lives. Well, how are we to do that? Well, it starts with, us refocusing on our walk with Jesus and making sure that our lives, that your life is not starting to be like that of a false teacher, to make sure that your life is not becoming one that is wandering off from Jesus Christ instead of being close to Christ. And so this morning, I have four things for you this morning. First is going to be a quick reminder of false teachers. And then I have three questions for you. And what those three questions are is this. How is your path? Who is on your path? And where is your path going? And so those are the three questions that I'm going to give to you this morning that I really hope that you would think about. But first, we need to get reminded of who these false teachers are because it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in, in Peter here. And so in verses 10 to 14, which is not going to be up on your screen because it's a good portion of scripture i'm going to read it to you we're going to get a reminder of false teachers and so if you join me second peter chapter 2 verses 10 to 14 we read this this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority bold and arrogant these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings yet even angels although they are stronger and more powerful do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the lord but these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instincts, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reviling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They, they seduce the unstable, the experts in greed and in a cursed brood. And so Peter has a lot of strong imagery in these verses, but also just in this whole chapter. 
And Peter is giving us this whole chapter about false teachers. All of chapter 2 is about false teachers. And the reason Peter is bringing them up and telling us about them is this. Peter knows how destructive they are. He knows what they can do and are doing in the life of the church in the days of Peter, but then also right now in our life. There are false teachers. As I told you a couple weeks ago, just because someone stands in front of you with a Bible does not mean that they are telling you the truth of that Bible. You see, false teachers, they pull people away from Jesus Christ. They lead them away from Christ. And false teachers keep people from a relationship with Jesus Christ because they give them false information. But what are they like? How do we tell a false teacher? Well, four weeks ago, if you can believe it, I counted right, today is the fifth Sunday that we have been apart. And so it's literally been four weeks ago today, five weeks ago, that we went through Second Peter chapter 2, the first ten verses. And we saw different aspects and different traits and characteristics of a false teacher. And so you can go back and look at that. I'm not going to go through all of that this morning, but Peter continues that. Through this whole rest of the chapter, Peter is giving to us different aspects of false teachers and what they do. And what they do is they give falsehood. See, Peter tells us in verse 10 that false teachers, that is the, the, those, that's who Peter is talking about, they follow the corrupt desires and sinful natures and despise authority. And what Peter is telling us there is that the false teachers, they follow their sinful nature, or you could use the word lust there, and they despise authority, which means the characteristic of, of a false teacher and what they do is this, they have a deep-seated lust for many things, including themselves. See, I always find it telling if a teacher of God's Word spends more time talking about themselves and what they have done or what has happened to them than they do spending time telling you what God's Word says. You see, false teachers have a huge lust within them about so many different things that they're trying to satisfy but they also have this arrogance of, I don't care. So where Peter says, the, and despise authority. False teachers despise authority. They despise the authority of God's word. They despise the authority of godly leadership. And say they don't care. They're going to do what they want to do no matter what. No matter what you say, they're going to do it. It's a pride from within them. Because if you notice verse 12, Peter says this in verse 12. He says, but these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They're like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. Peter says these false teachers are like animals. Now, one of the things that I've learned throughout the last couple of weeks about the people in uh, our church is you all have pets. And almost all of you have pets. Because every time we do some type of Zoom get-together, Bible study, uh, a, a board meeting, something along those lines, I have dogs jumping up and cats jumping up. You know, I'm waiting for a goat or something to walk through. You all have pets. Well, if you notice about pets, and I grew up with pets, and so I do know what it is like living with an animal in the house. Pets are always about themselves. Animals are always about themselves. Think about it. 
What do animals do? What do your pets do during the day? They eat, which is all about themselves. What else do they do? Sleep. Well, that's all about themselves. And so that's what Peter is giving there. He's telling us that these false teachers are like animals, that they just have this pridefulness in them, that everything that they're doing is all about themselves. That's what false teachers are like. And then Peter goes on saying that these men speak evil of demons, as we see in verses 10 and 11, that they don't regard demons and Satan as powerful beings that they don't have a healthy respect to them, and they just talk down to them like they can control them. They say negative things about the demons and about Satan. But you have to understand that Scripture kind of tells us not to do that because I believe it's even Michael, the archangel, would not even say anything negative about Satan and his demons. He left that up to God. But the false teachers act like that they are in control of and that they have a higher degree of authority over the false, these demons and against Satan. But Peter tells us in verse 13 that the false teachers, they're going to be punished because of what they've done. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago earlier in chapter 2. But then in verse 14, I want you to see this. Peter says, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. You need to understand what that. So you have to understand that this is written in Greek. And sometimes to get what is mentioned in the Greek language into the English language isn't always the easiest thing. And this is one of those verses that it's really hard to get the fullness of the Greek to come out through the English. See, where Peter says, with eyes full of adultery, what Peter means by that is this. It means that every woman that this false teacher saw looked at and thought about committing adultery with. That's what Peter is talking about. That every woman they looked at or saw, they see as a woman that they could commit adultery with. That that mindset has seared their hearts and their minds and their conscience. That it has seduced them. And that that's what they're always looking at. That's what they want. As I told you a couple minutes ago, they have this incredible lust in their hearts. And so Peter tells us that they're always trying to find ways that they could commit adultery. That they never stop sinning. But then Peter also tells us in verse 14 is that they seduce the unstable. False teachers look for those that are weak in the faith that they can confuse them and lead them astray. False teachers look for people that are just going through, say, a crisis or maybe a family issue or something that has happened in their lives where that weakens your emotional and mental state, false teachers look for that. And when a false teacher sees that your emotional state or mental state has been weakened because of something that you're going through, they're looking for that. And what they do is they seduce you. They lead you astray because of your weakened state that you are in. And then lastly, Peter tells us that false teachers are greedy. That all they care about is lining their, pro- their pockets And so Peter gives us that quick reminder, if you will, of what the false teachers are like. What do we do with it? See, Peter told us at the end of this book that you know this, and hopefully you do know this. But how do we apply it? What do we do with it? Well, that's where these three questions I gave to you at the start come into play. And the first question I want you to think about this morning, and I gave you a bit of a break this morning. I didn't go really deep into all of this because I want you to get these three questions. 
These three questions are really important for where you're at in life right now. And so I really want you to get this. Here's question number one, and it's the first part of verse 15. The question is this, how is your path? We read this in the first part of verse 15. It says, they have left the straight way and wandered off. And we'll stop there. Peter says, they have left the straight way. Well, who are the they? Well, the they in that verse, which is a great question, is the false teachers. Peter tells us that the false teachers have wandered off the straight way and have started to follow. He says these false teachers, they've left that way. They've wandered off. And another word for you to see and know in that verse is this. It's the word way. You see where Peter says they have left the straight way? Well, that word way in Scripture is used to speak about our way with Christ, our walk with Christ, our relationship with Jesus. You'll even find it in the book of Acts a little bit. Before the term Christian and Christianity was, was formed, Christianity was actually call, called the way. And so that word way there, Peter is putting it there, speaking to, talking about a walk with Jesus. And so what Peter is doing, he's giving us a picture of someone walking down a path, a straight path. Then all of a sudden they make a left turn and they wander it off. I'll give you an example. Maybe you were doing really good on a diet and exercise seven weeks ago. You're doing great. You're on the straight path, eating salad, right? Exercising. And then all of a sudden you are not allowed to go anywhere. And so what has happened since then? You have made 75 cakes, 30,000 dozen cookies, and you've eaten all of them. You haven't given them away, right? You were on a straight path with exercise and losing weight, and something happened and caused you to wander off that road, and now your clothes don't fit, right? That it happens, right? That's what Peter, that's the picture that Peter is giving to us here. That you were on a straight path, but you just wandered away. A few years ago, I told you about a small village. And maybe some of you would remember this. It was a a small village. And the village wasn't by any, you know, large populations of people. They didn't really have technology or electricity or anything along those lines. It's one of those villages that are out into, um, you know, the woods. Huts, they lived in huts, hunting and fishing, one of those types of villages that you know about. Well, the whole village came to know Jesus because of the work of a missionary. A missionary came in in the, the village and just preached the gospel, and the whole town literally converted to Christ. Well, here's what happened. The men in that village took what the Scripture calls men to do very very serious like they didn't make excuses to not do what scripture called them to do and so the men in that village they took their calling from the lord very serious and they're very serious about their relationship and their walk with the lord but they're also very serious about discipleship of training and teaching other men in the village but also raising up the younger generation. And notice, I'm not saying the pastor in the village is doing that. It is the men that were doing that. And so every morning, the men would walk out of the village and walk into the woods to a place that they 
deem their own so that they could have their quote-unquote devotional time. That's where they would read any of the scriptures that they'd have, that they would pray and just talk to the Lord and build that relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, what happens when you walk over the same grassy area every day? A path starts to form. The grass and the weeds, whatever is growing there, starts to get trampled down. And you could literally see the path. Well, it came to a point where in this village, you could look out at the, the outskirts of the camp and see all these paths going to different ways, different areas. And the men knew that is where so-and-so would go. But what they ought to also be able to tell is this, that if a path was starting to get overgrown, that if the path wasn't walked on a lot, that they knew so-and-so wasn't going out and spending time with Jesus. And so they would actually come up to the men and go, how is your path? And that's all they would need to say because when the man heard somebody asking that, what they knew is that person was asking them, how is your relationship with Jesus Christ? That your path has not been walked on very much, that it is being overgrown, that you are not spending time with Jesus the way that you ought to be, and you need to fix that. You need to start walking on that path with Christ again and spending time with him. And so let me ask you, if that is the backdrop, let me ask you this. How is your path? Men, men, how is your path? How is your walk with Jesus, men? Women, how is your path? Ladies, how is your walk with Jesus right now? Like, hear me on this. Stop scrolling. Stop listening to the music from the other room. Stop watching the TV and trying to listen to me at the same time. Literally stop making breakfast while you're listening to the sermon. Like just stop all of that. Because if you're doing that throughout the last couple weeks now, it's not the best thing for you to be doing while trying to listen to God's word. But all of that, stop all of that. How is your relationship with Christ? How is your walk with Jesus Christ right now? Literally, how is your path? Crisis causes us to refocus. It does. It always does. And perhaps right now, Jesus wants you to refocus on him. Maybe your path has become overgrown. Maybe you do not spend the time with Jesus that you once did. Maybe you got so much things that are distracting you that you are using as an excuse. Maybe you're trying to justify and rationalize why you're not spending time with Christ, why you're not doing the things that Christ wants you to be doing. Maybe it's time for you to refocus on Jesus and start back on the straight path again so that you don't wander off like these false teachers did. Like Jesus really wants you to answer that question. You see, that's question number one. And if you need prayer, if you need help, just let us know in the comments. You can message us. You can call us. Whatever you need, we're here to help. But how is your path? How is your walk with the Lord right now? How would you rate your walk with the Lord right now? Have you wandered off? The second question, Peter says, is this. Who's on your path? And once again, big section. I don't have it all up on the screen, but we have verses 15 and 16 for you. 
And this section goes all the way down to verse 19, which we'll get to in a moment. But verse 15 and 16, Peter says this, They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. And we'll just pause there for now. Peter tells us that these false teachers followed the way of Balaam. Well, who's Balaam? A good next step for you today, this week, would be to read Numbers chapters 22 to 25. That's Numbers 22 to 25. That'll give you the story of Balaam. I mean, give you the Cliff Notes version of that right now. But Balaam was a prophet. And the king of the Moabites wanted Balaam to come and curse the nation of Israel. Well, God had warned Balaam, said, Balaam, I don't want you to do this, Balaam. You're not to go and curse the nation of Israel. But the king of the Moabites offered Balaam a huge sum of money, and Balaam wanted that money. It was all about the money. Remember, I told you, false teachers are greedy, and they have a lust that they're trying to satisfy. And so Balaam, he goes, I want that money. And so Balaam gets on his donkey to go to the king of Moabites to curse the nation of Israel, and on the way there, the, the donkey keeps stopping him, and the donkey actually talks to them, which I think was absolutely great and fantastic. I wish I'd be able to see that. And if you tell me you don't believe the Bible is true because the donkey talked, well, then you have an issue because so many people watch videos of dogs barking and thinking they're saying things and think it's an amazing thing. So your argument doesn't hold much water there. But eventually Balaam gets to where the king of the Moabites is at, and Balaam tries to curse Israel three times, but every time he opens his mouth, the Lord has Balaam utter a blessing for the nation of Israel. And so it doesn't work. And so long story short, it is believed that Balaam told the king of the Moabites to just send women into Israel and to seduce the Israelite men. And that then when they would commit that sin, then God would have to punish them for their sin. And so Balaam becomes the poster child, if you would, of false teaching. Because Balaam was in it for the money. Balaam was in it for the fame, and he was in it for the reputation. Balaam was in it for the most views and the most likes that he could get on a post. Balaam was in it for everybody hear me, everybody see me type of mindset and actions. And Peter tells us that these false teachers started to follow that way of thinking. That it was all about the money, it was all about the fame, it was all about the reputation, it was all about the followers. Well, Peter goes on to tell us what these false teachers are like, verses 17 and 19. It says, these men are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Peter tells us that these false teachers are like springs without water, a mist driven by a storm. Question for you. What good is a spring without water? What good is a well without water? No, nothing. There's no good. It's empty. It's not good at all because a spring that has no water can't give you anything. A well that is empty cannot give you any water. It has nothing to give you. 
False teachers are empty. They have nothing to give to you. It's like that hollow chocolate bunny that I bring up every Easter time because you look at the chocolate bunny and go, oh, that looks amazing. I'm going to take a big bite of it. And what happens? You bite through the smallest layer of chocolate they could possibly make and then you get air. There's no substance. There's nothing there giving you absolutely nothing. Peter says that's a false teacher. He says they have nothing to give to you. He goes on to say that they mouth boastful words by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful nature. That word boastful there in the Greek, it speaks to big, energetic words. I came across a story this week to explain to you what Peter is saying here in these verses. There was a rural, rural church in America. And one Sunday, a Native American went into uh, the church one day. And to his discredit, the pastor did not spend a lot of time in the message. He didn't spend a lot of time studying and preparing the message for that Sunday. And so he thought, you know what? What I'll do today is I'll just get up and I'll talk really, really loud like this and really fast and really powerful and really strong. And I'll wave my arms. I'll jump around and I... I'll hit the pulpit. I won't hit the pulpit now because the microphone is here and you, you guys would hear that. The pastor says, I'm going to do everything like that. And so that's what he did. He was really loud. He was really energetic. He was hitting the pulpit and flailing his arms all around. And after the message, everybody in the church was like, oh, that was a great message. The pastor was really into it. Did you see him? He actually even broke a sweat. Right? He was really into it. But then they came to the Native American that was joining them that Sunday. And they asked him what he thought. And the Native American answered the church in six words. His six words were this. Big wind, loud thunder, no rain. Everything was there but the substance. The substance that was needed was lacking. And Peter says, that's what the false teachers give. They give you all these big, energetic, boastful things that you want to hear, but there is no substance. What we need is not there. And then in verse 19, Peter tells us that these false teachers promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves. A slave cannot give you freedom. What Peter is saying is, like, is this. It's like the drug addict telling you how to get free from drugs. They can't because they themselves are still addicted to drugs. See, Peter says, tells us that's what the false teachers are like. That's what their words are like. And I hear you, Pastor, what in the world does that have to do with the second question that you gave to us? Who is on your path? Well, friends, it has everything to do with that question. You see, these false teachers... They let Balaam onto their path. And they started to follow Balaam. They started to follow the ways of it's about the money. It's about uh, uh, seducing people. It's about fulfilling the lust and the desires that I have. And they started getting on that path and they started to follow him. See, who is walking this path with you? See, that's what I mean by who is on your path. Who is walking this path of life with you? Who are you spending your time with? Who are you reading? Who are you listening to? Who are you following on Facebook and Instagram? 
Who are you letting to speak into your life about different aspects of life? See, how are the people around you in your life feeding you and influencing your mind and your heart? You see, to stay on the straight path, to stay with Christ, we have to refocus and we have to see who's on the path with us so that they don't start to lead us and pull us astray down some path that keeps us from Christ. Who is that for you? Because over the last couple of weeks, you've been in a lot of more isolation than you're used to and that you like. And so when we're in isolation, that is when Satan likes to, to tempt us all the more. Isolation is, puts us in a weak position. And so that enables you to pick up a book off a shelf or maybe order a book through Amazon. Maybe it gives you an opportunity to watch something on, on the internet or maybe somebody on the TV or maybe you start listening to someone that you wouldn't normally be listening to and all of a sudden Satan has now tempted you and he's filling your mind and your heart with influence and food that is going to lead you down a path that is not the straight path. Who is on this path with you right now in your life? I read a story about D.L. Moody this week. If you don't know who D.L. Moody is, he became an evangelist and a pastor. He's very, very well known. He did a lot of great stuff. And what the story talked about was this, that his, con his conversion, when he met Jesus, was so radical that he would read the Bible, ready, for hours a day. Some of you won't even read the Bible for hours a year. D.L. Moody read the Bible hours a day, every day, and he applied it immediately. Not saying he was perfect, but this is what he did. He took the word and he applied it immediately. And he became obedient to the word of God. So much so that it actually bothered some of the older, more mature believers in his church. They follow me on this. His growth in Christ, his maturity in, in, in Christ, embarrassed, embarrassed those who had been in the faith longer than he was. You see, every week, D.L. Moody would come to church and talk about what God did in his life, what God showed him, and how the Lord worked in his life that week. And the older saints honestly felt a little humiliated by him, that they actually did this. They actually went to D.L. Moody's uncle and said, can you quiet the boy down? The older, more mature saints in D.L. Moody's church were upset because he was growing and they weren't. And so they actually asked his uncle to get him to stop growing in Christ. Think about that. One biographer of D.L. Moody, he wrote this, D.L. Moody's robust spiritual health and bounding spiritual energy disturbed their napping. He was just too much for them. So while they were sucking their thumbs, he was growing until he left them far behind. He grew more in a few years than they did in 30. Friends, we need more people like D.L. Moody in our life that's going to force us and influence us to grow in Christ and walk this path with Jesus and not with the world. And so as you've been at home, maybe only for work for about five weeks, who is on your path with you right now? How are they leading you? How are they influencing you? Perhaps 
It's time for you to refocus on who's on your path with you and change it. I told you a couple weeks ago that trials bring transformation, but crisis also brings refocusing. The question is, what are you going to do with those transformation, and what are you going to do with that refocusing? And then the last question for you this morning, where is your path going? Let me read to you verses 20 to 22. Peter says, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. I told you Peter uses some great pictures in his word. Peter tells us that if they, which are the false teachers, if they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome by it, that they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning, Peter goes on to say it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, just the gospel, than to have known it and then turn their backs on that. See, these two verses can open up a can of worms for us that if we had more time, we could go down and explore. Because Peter is talking about false teachers. And Peter says that these false teachers escaped the corruption of the world by knowing Jesus, but now they're entangled in it all again. He goes, it would have been better for them not have known the way of righteousness. It would have been better for them if they had not known the gospel than for them to have known it and then turned their backs on it. The can of worms is this, is Peter saying here that one can lose their salvation. That these false teachers were once saved and then when they were led astray, they lost their salvation. In short, no. We don't lose our salvation because we don't earn it. It's not based on anything we do or don't do. What Peter is saying is this. These false teachers heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps they went to church. Perhaps they carried their Bible. Perhaps they went to the men's group. Maybe they went to the women's group. Maybe they went to Bible study and they helped out in the nursery. They helped out in Sunday school. Maybe they even helped out with vacation Bible school. Maybe even these men sat on the trustee board of the local church. But they never turned to Jesus. That they never confessed their sin. That they never repented of their sin. That they never truly believed in Jesus as Lord God, Savior, and King. That for them it was all outward. It was all a show. Look at me. Look at everything I'm saying. Look at everything I'm doing. I believe in Jesus. But truthfully, there was no change in, in word. There was never any true faith in Jesus. That they just went through the motions. That they tasted Jesus, but they never submitted to Jesus as Lord. Kind of like a gentleman that you and I are familiar with. A gentleman by the name of Judas. For three years, Judas was with Jesus doing all types of ministry. But Judas never truly believed in Jesus as the Messiah. See, that is the person that Peter is talking about here. And you see the path that Judas was on, the path was a path that enabled him to hear and see Jesus 
work and teach in so many ways, but Judas never believed. And because of that, Judas ended up in the same place he started, a man filled of greed, of selfishness, isolation, and a man in his sin separated from God. Friends, the path that you're on right now in your life, where is it going? What is its final destination? The path you're on right now, that if everything stayed the way it is right now, where is it leading you to? You see, the path that you're on right now only has one of two final destinations. The path that you're on right now will lead you closer to Jesus. That you will know Him and rejoice Him in and glorify in Him and serve Him all the more. Or your path that you're on right now will lead you farther from Jesus and you will end up where you started. But the only difference is you'll be held responsible for the truth that you've heard. Have you turned to Jesus? Have you ever had a conversation with Christ about the fact that you are a sinner and that you confess your sins and that you ask Him to forgive you? And that you repent of your sins, which means to turn away from it and turn to Christ, and that you believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose in your place? Or is it all a show? Is it all just motions like it was with Judas? Friends, we're in a crisis. Crisis causes refocusing. Let us refocus on our path How is your path? How is your walk with Jesus? Who is on your path? How are they influencing you and leading you and feeding you? And friends, where is your path taking you? Maybe it's time for you to refocus on those three questions. Because this crisis will cause you to refocus on so many things. Don't miss out on refocusing your relationship with Jesus Christ.